Right. We are looking forward to getting into his word this evening and uh, to see what the Lord has in store for each and every one of us. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 6 tonight. Leviticus chapter 6. If you do have your Bibles there, let's open up there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Actually, it actually is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, isn't it? I always like to make a little bit of a funny, and even if the, even if the book is in the middle of the Bible, I'll say Genesis, Exodus, and then you know, Daniel or something, and I know, it's a dad joke, I got it from my pastor, I'm sure he got it from his, I always get the look from Denise like, you're such a, anyway, so when I do that, but she does that to most of my jokes anyway, and I have a good one every now and then, I just don't have any planned ones, they don't work too well, Leviticus chapter 6 is where we're going to be guys, a bit of a long reading in the front end this evening, we're going to get in here, beginning in chapter 6, and we're going to be looking in verse 8, now the Bible says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering because of the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And um, I skipped one. Because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. Verse 10. And the priest shall put on his linen garments, and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh, and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments and put on other garments. And carry forth the ashes without the camp into a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. And lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall Never go out. Father, we thank you for the opportunity and time to be here this evening. I ask you to bless the preaching and teaching of your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So many of you guys may be wondering this evening, why in the world preach a sermon from the book of Leviticus to the New Testament church? Why why preach to the church today uh, uh, from the, the Levitical law, the, the book that is written, written uh, you know, establishing what the Levites would do in the temple? And, you know, what would be the benefit for us today? And and oftentimes, guys, and I'm going to say this, and um, and you can ponder on this next thought if you want to a little bit. I ask you not to look too deep inside of it. But too often people, and I'm going to say shallow, weak type of preaching, when they do not quite understand something in the Word of God, they don't quite understand it fully, or, or, or they, they don't see how it applies into our life, and usually that's a result of the lack of faith, they'll begin to make everything a metaphor. They'll, 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 make a met, they'll make it all metaphorical. They'll say, this is just metaphorical, this is that, this is that, this is that. And they break things apart. And the reality, the danger of doing that, guys, is we lose something that we're going to talk about in a minute, about the foreshadow in the Word of God. We lose what we can find, Jesus Christ, in every single uh, book of the Bible. We can sit here in a Bible study some night, and we can go through all 66 books, and I can show you, either by presence or by type, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Messiah. Obviously, the New Testament is quite easy, but the 39 books of the Old Testament, we can find him in there every step of the way. But what happens is when people don't understand it, or it doesn't, they can't see where it applies or how it applies, they begin to spiritualize everything. and They make it a metaphorical teaching, and they just don't see the benefit at all, and it hurts them in their Christian growth and unfortunately those that are around them. So, beloved, I don't know about you guys, but I like to sink my teeth into things. I like to sink my teeth into the meat. Um, 
I like eating meat. I'm not interested in eating, uh, becoming a, uh, no, no offense to anyone, becoming a vegan or a vegetarian. I like the meat of the Word of God. I'm not, I don't want to drink on the milk of the Word of God, guys. That is just me. So why preach a sermon out of Leviticus tonight? Why? What's the purpose? What's the point of it? Well, first off, we find in Galatians tonight, here's the title of the message, The Fire Should Never Go Out. Now, just a little bit of a, a taster here before we move on. I sent the post out this morning, uh, or last night for this, uh, for Sunday morning sermon, and then I sent out uh, later on uh, today's message, right? And uh, The Fire Shall Never Go Out, and then the one this morning was I Give It All. And I thought, here's two subjects that people are going to look at the photo, maybe not read the content of the post, the two subjects that people don't like to hear about, giving, all right, and fire, assuming that it is the fire of hell. And uh, and I understand that. Guys, still, both of them must be preached. Most of them must be taught. Uh, just to let you know, this morning's sermon was not on tithing and giving and whatnot. It was on uh, it was on out of Oran. It was another Old Testament sermon out of First Chronicles 21. Catch up with it. It actually was a, a wonderful time this morning. God moved in a great way. But why teach something? Why bring something to the table from the Old Testament? What can you and I benefit from it? Well, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, he says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the first thing that we need to understand, that which you find in the Old Testament is something that is focusing on who and what Jesus Christ is. It's a schoolmaster. It's a foreshadow of what was going to come. The obedience that the Jews had to follow in all of these burnt offerings. Now we understand that, that God is now commanding Moses to teach the Levites and then therefore to teach the rest of Israel as they're in the wilderness. He's laying this foundation that this is what you're going to do. And if you study out the book of Leviticus, you're going to find it is a book full, filled with blood. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. It's filled with blood. But it is filled with unbelievable steps that the Jews had to follow in obedience. It should make you be very thankful, very thoughtful for living in the age of grace. So the first thing we find is that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ. Secondly, we find Leviticus deals with the necessities of the blood sacrifice. And Paul says in Hebrews, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22 through 28, he says that almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. But in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Verse 25. Now yet that he should offer himself often as a... Um, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood offering other blood, blood of others. For then must he have um, he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now what's to the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time uh, without sin unto salvation. Now here's the whole point of that. What Paul is saying in Hebrews is he's bringing that foreshadow where the high priest in the Old Testament went through the holies of holies once a year, and he brought this sacrifice to the mercy seat every single year for the sins of all of Israel. He had to do it over and over and over and over and over. There were different sacrifices for different types of sins, and we will touch on 
that briefly tonight. We're not going to get carried away with it. But the illustration is that sacrifice, that blood sacrifice that had to happen in the Old Testament was the foreshadow of what one singular sacrifice was going to occur on the cross of Calvary with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Amen? So that's the second reason why a message out of the book of Leviticus would be beneficial to us today. Thirdly, now I believe this is very simple, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture okay, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Guys, there is a purpose to every single scripture in the Bible, okay? A purpose to every single one of them. All 66 books, 27 in the New, 39 in the Old, every one of them has a purpose. You may find some things today that are not doctrinally for you. Like when we start talking about this altar and the sacrifice that was given, the things that we've already read, we don't have to do that anymore. Why don't we have to do that anymore? Because Jesus Christ died for us once and died once and for all, yeah? All right, so that's over with. But the purpose of all these sacrifices was to be a schoolmaster, understanding that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood of a spotless lamb, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without someone paying that ultimate price, we would still be, of all men, most miserable in our life today had Jesus Christ not rose from the grave. See, in all of those things, every scripture has a purpose in our life. For something. If it's not doctrinal to us, it may be for correction. It may be for instructions and in righteousness. It may be for reproof. But all scripture is given by God, okay? And it is a purpose for them all. So this is why you preach a sermon out of Leviticus, especially when the details are, are, lay, are laying the foundation for one of the greatest moments in the history of the world. The law of the burnt offering, guys, is an offering of sacrifice to atone for a soul's sin. That was the purpose for it. When a man would, or a man, woman would sin against their neighbor, and again, according to uh, Psalm 51, David said in Psalm 51, verse 4, he says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. We know that David sinned against Bathsheba, sinned against his own family, sinned against Uriah the Hittite, sinned against everybody. And that was his sin when he committed that with, Uriah, with Bathsheba, and then later on having Uriah the Hittite killed. His sin affected everyone. However, our sin is always primarily vertical, do you understand? So when we sin against our neighbor in the Old Testament here, when a person would sin against their neighbor, yet primarily sin against God, they would take the finest of their flock as a sacrifice of burnt offering to make peace for their sins. And so our text reads here tonight. I'm going to get you involved in this just a little bit, keep you from going to sleep. Our text reads tonight, The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. That was the commandment, that was the order that was given. Okay? Now, what we what we see here is we see an altar. In the verses that we read already, we see the altar. And I'll just give you a background, that's a brazen altar. It's an altar made with made with brass. Brass is the uh, the metal of judgment in the Old Testament. Every piece of metal had a uh, reason, a, a purpose, a meaning, a definition behind it. Brass is the metal of judgment. Remember Jesus Christ uh, said, And I, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But he used the lichen. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Remember there was a pestilence in the Old Testament. And uh, people were being killed. And when they were bit by the viper, well, God told Moses, Construct this brazen serpent, this serpent that went up. And uh, when they looked on that brazen serpent, that will be the judge upon the sin or the pestilence that they were experiencing. And, and just to make make that real quick, so brass is the is the metal of judgment, and that's what this altar. It's a brazen altar, and so we know that the altar is spoken about. Okay, 
We read in our text verse today, we read about the wood, did we not? They said you got to put the wood on there every morning, right? We read about the sacrifice. We read about the ashes. We even read about the two sets of clothes that the, that the Levite had to have. All right? So he'd put his linen breeches on. That's where we get the word breeches. The linen breeches on, put everything out, and he would perform the duty of it. Okay? But then he'd put other ones on and take the ashes out and set them to the side. Does that make sense? You're like, why do they have to go through all of these things? Just sheer obedience is all it is. Because here's the deal. We find all of these things. And if you were to read the previous chapters, you would find out that God gave unto Moses and to Levi, gave them the detailed uh, descriptions, if you will, okay, of how big that altar was to be, what it was shaped like, what it looked like, everything, down to the, the smallest little level, he gave them all the details. Of. We see all of those things. You're going to find the dimensions of the altar. You're going to find a detailed information of, of what to do, how to do it, as the Levite and the priest would perform their daily duties. But what's missing? If I throw this out to you tonight, I mean, we even hear the word fire mentioned, don't we? We, we read about constructing the altar, what to do with the sacrifice, what to do uh, with the ashes, the, the clothing. But can anybody tell me what's missing? What's missing in those verses? Think about it just for a second. If you were to tell me <coughs> to go out and set up camp, you would tell me how to put my tent up, you tell me where to put it up, you would tell me every single detail that was going to keep me alive in that given night, wouldn't you? You would tell me so I wouldn't miss anything at all. But what are we missing there? There's one little element that is missing that really ties the whole thing together. The commandment for the fire to never go out is on there, yeah? But there never was an order or a commandment to light the fire. See, sometimes, guys, what's not mentioned is more important than what is mentioned. He mentions the fire, doesn't he? I mean, he mentions constructing the altar. He mentions the same. He mentions everything in the fine little details, but then never says anything about lighting it. Never says anything about how to light it. The Lord commands this fire to go out, but never said anything about lighting it. So why? Why would God do that? Is he just assuming that there's already a fire there? No. About three chapters later, Leviticus 9, we find out, and this is what I'm saying, that one of the greatest events that happened in human history, one of them, Obviously not the, the greatest. That will be the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in Leviticus chapter 9, in two verses, we read, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. Now watch this. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar of the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw it, they shouted, and fell on their faces. Beloved, the priests were never told to start the fire because this was no ordinary fire. This is a fire that came from God. This is a fire that fell down from, from heaven. This is a fire that came and fell upon. This is why Nadab and Abihu, the sons of, of Aaron, were killed because they offered strange fire before the Lord. Numbers chapter uh, 26, 61 says, And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. What they did is they took their censers and they put their own fire in there and God killed them because of it. Because you can't offer a sacrifice for the sins of mankind outside of God's fire. That's why he said this fire this fire that's coming here in about three chapters, this fire that you want, that's going to fall down upon this altar, this is the one that you, alright, I'm going to write it for you. But you're going to have to keep it burning. You're going to have to keep it moving. Guys, it wasn't the priest's responsibility to start the fire. 
It was only theirs to keep it going. The fire which came from God, and God alone can only... Listen, the Jews, the Jewish historians teach that this same fire that, fall, that had fallen in Leviticus chapter 9 was the very same fire that continued to burn all the way up to 606 A.D. with the first siege of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar, which took Israel away. There's three sieges. There's 606 B.C., and of course you know the numbers counting down. There's 586 and 5. Uh, 596, 591, the last last two. Saying all that to make, or 586, sorry, was the last one. Saying all that to, to make this point here this evening, guys. In the ninth chapter, when that fire fell and it consumed that sacrifice completely, what did the people do? Man, they shouted. They fell on their face. And they, they, I mean, guys, I don't know about you, but, uh, but there was a time in my life when the power of God fell on me, and I'm not talking about any kind of thing that's spooky or hocus-pocus or anything like that. I didn't see a, a bright light in the sky, but I do know this. I know there was a fire from the Holy Spirit of God that dropped down on me when I got gloriously saved and born again of the blood of Christ. He entered into me right then and right there. There was no three steps to joy. There was no saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. The moment that I got saved on the 31st of December, 1900, as a 19-year-old boy was the day I got all the Holy Spirit of God that I will ever need in my entire life. How much I render and how much I allow that fire to continue to burn, that's up to me, my friend. That's up to me. See, equivalent of what happened this day in Leviticus chapter 9. You see, guys, when the fire fell from heaven in the Old Testament, it gives us the illustration of what's going to happen in the New Testament. And the only difference was uh, the Holy Spirit enters into you as salvation. It never leaves. You get all the Holy Spirit of God that you ever will need. And how much you render of Him, how much you allow Him to fill you is going to be up to you. And that's where the application of keeping the fire burning is applied in our life. It wasn't a priest. It wasn't a, the responsibility of anything that, that brought that fire in there. That fire came from God and God alone. It is not mankind's. It is not in mankind's ability to save themselves. That's God's job. Okay, and when you choose to believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as, as your, your Savior, that is salvation that comes into your heart and your life. That is the responsibility that He has. That's the responsibility that He lights that fire. But guys, there's a responsibility given to us to not let that fire burn and go cold. That's why you. That's why we feed on the Word of God on Sundays and on Wednesdays. That's why we try to read our Bibles on a daily basis and we have times of prayer and communion and feeding upon the Word of God. Guys, there was a time when you received Christ as your Savior. And I hope and pray that you shouted for joy. I understand that, that you know we can be a bit reserved and I, I understand that. I have no problem with being reserved and, ha and having reservations in your life. But there should be something that bubbled up inside of you that you understood from conviction of your sins and the need of a Savior and you accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Listen, nobody told you you were saved. All right, It doesn't work like that. My soul, man, if I could go through this, this city t tonight and pronounce and proclaim people, if I could go sprinkle some water on some people and they're saved and going to heaven, man, I'd be out there with a fire hose. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't stop till every one of nearly 500,000 people in our area were saved and born again. Man, that's, I wouldn't stop doing it. But I can't do that because it's not up to me. I can't Listen, I can't save your soul. And my friend, I can't keep the fire burning in within you either. That's your job. That's your job. That's my job. I want you to realize that it was Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. I want you to think about this now. It was Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, and all the people that saw that fire fall from heaven that day. 
They all saw the fire proceed out from the presence of God. And, and the very fire which fell on that day in Leviticus chapter 9 was the same fire that was seen by Samuel and Nathan and Samson and David and Solomon and Joab and Isaiah all the way down, guys. When someone was sent against their neighbor, primarily against God, it was that same fire hundreds of years later that their sacrifice was burned up from. The sacrifice was spotless, the finest of the flock. You see, my friend, on the cross of Calvary, the perfect Lamb of God stood without spot, without blemish. Sinless in the eyes of God, He who knew no sin became sin for us so He could cover and cleanse a multitude of sins. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ who made the final sacrifice, the burnt offering, if you will, of all offerings. The cross was the tool, the altar was the pitcher, and the flame of fire within was the Holy Ghost. On the road to Emmaus on the day that Jesus Christ resurrected, I always, I always love this verse when we, we look at it. The couple was walking. They didn't know they were with Jesus. He had hid himself to their eyes. And, and after he departed, they said, Did not our hearts burn within us? Uh, say, burn within us, he said. And when he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures, I mean, didn't it burn? Didn't it do something to you? Fifty days following his resurrection, the time of Pentecost, God sent another flame of fire from his presence, the flame of the fallen of the Holy Spirit of God. Guess who saw it? Peter, James, and John, and the other 120 people there at Pentecost saw it. Just like Moses, Joshua, David, and Nathan saw the very first flame, Peter, James, and John, and the others saw the flame that fell of the Holy Spirit of God descended. And you know what they did? They shouted for joy. They got excited about it. I don't know about you guys. I, honestly, I don't. But I know, I know for myself, I got a little excited on the day that I got saved. And I still get excited about it today. But I'll tell you what, i got to fan those flames, guys. i got to keep that fire burning within me or it will go cold. Spirit of indifference will come upon you. Paul saw that fire, God. Matter of fact, he refers to it. He refers to God as a, a consuming flame in the book of Hebrews. Friend, our Lord places a fire deep down within us that cleanses us from all sin. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the burnt offering given once and for all. It is the Old Testament priests who were given the great task of making sure that fire never goes out. They were placed in charge of keeping the flames burning. And beloved, I'm going to tell you right now, we are given a personal task today in our own life to keep the flames burning in our life, to allow the fire to never go out, to never become cold to the moving hand of the Lord. I got three points for you tonight. We'll be done. But I remember a story being told one time. Old preacher went by and visited a guy that was backslidden, had been in church in several several weeks, and he just became kind of cold and indifferent to the Word of God and to the, the preaching and didn't want to pray, didn't want to read his Bible. And that's what happens, guys. When you get cold to the Holy Scripture, when you get cold to the preaching of the Word of God and, and you begin to remove yourself, you don't want to do it. You don't want to read it. You don't want to pray, Okay. Don't, don't let anybody ever tell you uh, that the, the, the preacher God, the preacher, uh, the man of God or the preacher is always wanting to pray. I can tell you right now, there are nights when I am so dead dog tired that all I want to do is brush my teeth, wash my face, and go to bed and not kneel on the side of that bed and close that day out in prayer. There are times my flesh says, I don't want to do it. That old spirit of God says, yeah, but you know what I did for you? It's okay. I remember we was in a, a collegiate all-star um, all-American All-Star game, one of the final games I played in. I was, I was, I was roommate with another linebacker, a guy from Albany State. And I used to pray back in those days. I'd pray laying in the bed, you know. And uh, I was laying down. I said, hey, man, I said, you pray? He goes, yep, sure do. 
And I said, all right. I said, well, I'm going I'm to pray. I'm going to pray in silent. And he goes, you go ahead. And he began to move. I was like wondering what he was doing. He goes, he said, oh, Beach, he goes, I pray. And he got down the foot of his bed. He goes, this is his words now, not mine. So he goes, but mine. He says, but I got to get mine on my knees. I said, why's that? He goes, I got to show my God respect. I got to get mine on my knees. And from that moment forward, guys, I quit praying and just laying. No, there's nothing wrong. You can pray. Any, that's the beauty of being a holy priesthood. You have access to God anywhere, anytime you want to go. But there was a conviction there. I know he was tired. We practiced all day long. We were preparing for a game that weekend. I know his body was hurting, but you know what? He showed the respect to get his on his knees. Remember the story of that old preacher going to that house, that old backslidden fellow? It was wintertime, so coal fire was burning to the side there. And the man was sitting in the chair, and he's just giving every excuse under the sun. He goes, I just don't feel like, I just don't feel like, you know, uh, going to church on Sunday. Don't feel like listening to, I, mean, I, I don't know what to do, preacher. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe this, maybe that. You know, given all these problems, and that old wise preacher just grabbed those old fire tongs real quick, and he, he reached a, uh, for a, a piece of coal in that fire that was red hot, burning ember. He pulled it out, and he only laid it about eight inches away from that fire. Sat it to the side. That thing was just burning, just glowing. And you see them when they get real hot and they're glowing, glowing orange. And it was glowing. But it didn't take long, Hannah. It didn't take long. As he was sitting there talking to that old fella and just listening to him, look over that coal and the guy kept looking at it. Probably wondering why he's got a hot piece of coal sitting on his hearth. It didn't take long for that ember to start losing its flame. It started losing its glow. It started losing its its allurement. There's something about fire that just attracts people. And before you know it, just in a matter of minutes, a piece of coal was black as night, cool to the touch. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, you get saved and born again, that Holy Spirit comes in there, you ought to shout, you ought to fall on your face, you ought to praise God, you ought to get a little bit of excitement in you because He's inspired your soul from eternity in hell. But there's a fire that's within you that you've got to keep burning. There's a fire that you're going to have to flame. There's a fire that you have to feed. If you're not careful, it's going to get a little bit cold. And you know what? I want you to notice the first thing in our text tonight. Again, three quick points will be done. If you're going to keep that fire burning, you know what it's going to require? Guys, it's going to require wood. And you say, preacher, now I don't understand what in the world that means. And the Bible tells us in verse 12, it says, And the priest shall burn wood on it. On what? On the fire. Where's the fire? Well, three chapters later, the fire falls. All right? So I can imagine these priests are going, well, where's this fire coming from? We're getting all set up for something here. We're getting set up, but, but he never gives us the matches. He never gives us the stone, the rocks, the flint. How are we going to get this fire? God knew what he was doing. Just need to trust him, right? He said the priests need to put the, put the wood on it, guys. Every morning, wood was placed on that fire to ensure it burned throughout the day and throughout the night. And friend, can I tell you this? That wood, wood is a is a substance, my friend. It's a substance. It's wood is something that is tangible, <clears throat> which means perceptible by touch. 
You can grab a hold of it, do you understand? I was preaching this message down in Mexico, and I was trying to find something made out of wood in this stone church, and we couldn't find anything. And, and I was running around, and the whole time I'm asking for it, my interpreters, and he's interpreting for me, and these are dear friends of mine that I've known for 20 years, and, and uh, Brother Humberto and them, and Brother, Brother Manny. And, uh, man, he comes, out of his, he comes out of the back with a, with a wooden stool. He goes, Preacher, I got you some wood here. He goes, Smash it to bits. I said, I'm not trying to smash it. I just want to give an illustration here. I said, I could grab a hold of it. I could grab a hold. It was tangible. It was a substance. And we need to understand that in our life today. We, we look at this fire and the fire of the Holy Spirit of God that fills us on the moment we were saved, the very moment of salvation. It needs the substance every single day to remain that flame burning within us. Don't confuse that with losing your salvation. You can't lose what you cannot earn. But the Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We think faith is just this blind leap. You'll never find one part here in the scripture about a blind leap of faith. Matter of fact, Serene Kierkegaard, the, the, the old philosopher, he's the one that coined that phrase, not the Bible. There's no blind leap of faith. Matter of fact, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. That ain't in the Bible either. Samuel Butler said that. The Bible says, spare the rod, hate thy son. So that's a, a sermon for another day. I'm just saying, we get these little chimney corn scriptures, you understand, and we think that's the, the inspired word of God, and it's not. It's not. Faith is a substance, guys. None of us have ever seen heaven. No one living has ever seen heaven. As a matter of fact, the only two people, or the last two people, who saw heaven and lived to tell about it were the apostles John and the apostle Paul. Paul uh, was beheaded in AD 58 in the road to Ossian Rome. John lived to be a ripe old age, and some believe that he died in the first ten years of the second century. But he saw what heaven was like, but, and he wrote down what Jesus Christ told him to write. Paul said it was unlawful for him. Uh, to write and repeat what he was referring to. So what does that mean? It means our faith, guys, is the substance which fuels the fire of our salvation, keeping us looking toward heaven, looking toward Christ, looking toward the finish line where the author and the finish of our faith awaits for you and I to arrive. That's what it is. <clears throat> if Jesus Christ walked through that door right now, or let me make it even more, anyway, if you heard something in your brain right now that said, David, I'm going to give you something special. It's not in your book, but let me give you something. Blah, 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 blah. You know how much faith you would need from that moment forward? Zero. I, I told you that all scriptures given by inspiration of God. It's good for reproof, right? Good for doctrine, correction, instruction, and righteousness. But the signs and wonders that you find in the Old Testament and you later on will find in the tribulation period are not for the church age. It's our faith. It is the wood upon the fire that keeps it burning. The faith. Faith is not some fluttery little thing. You just have to have faith. Man, you can have faith that you can fly and jump off this building, and guess what? Gravity's going to win every single time. Faith has to be in something that is, that is, that is, that is powerful. It's got to be in someone greater and bigger than you and I. Our faith is a substance which fuels that fire. It's the part of our salvation that keeps us looking toward where the Lord Jesus Christ is. So you have to get wood. You've got to get that faith. To fuel that fire. Number two, guys, the substance, there must be some substance kindling the fire, which is the wood, which is your faith. But number two, it's going to take work. Now, guys, the first 12 says what? Every week, right? Every month? Every, when you feel like it? Go get that wood, you know, when it's convenient. That's not what it said. Those priests were responsible to go find wood and make sure wood was on that fire to keep that fire that came from God burning every day, 
they were responsible every single morning to make sure wood was put on. Do you know what that means? That means they didn't take a day off. They had the Sabbath, I understand. They got two days worth of wood then. But they wasn't sitting back going, well, I want to sit back in my easy chair. It was a daily process of exercising and fortifying uh, their faith, guys, to make sure that fire continued to burn. And our life is no different. Our life is a daily process of exercising our faith in the midst of this flame. It's not a, it's, it, it's not a work salvation. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And you know one of the things that will keep that flame burning within you? Is trying to provoke someone. We, we can provoke someone to anger. We're good at that now, aren't we? We can do That's easy, man. We can get somebody upset that quick. But have you ever tried? Set it out in your heart and your mind to provoke someone to love? Provoke someone to good works? You know what that takes? That takes work on your part. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to be rejected more times than you're received. That's par for the course. So you're going to you know, get your toys, take it out of the sandbox, go home? No, you're just going to keep doing it every single day. Why? Because you still have that faith. You still have that fire that's within you that needs that wood. And you have got to continue working. Think about it like this. All the centuries that that fire was burning, those, those priests daily had to not only find wood, which in a 40-year period, guys, remember, it wasn't all that easy to find, okay? It wasn't the easiest thing to do. But they had to keep the fire burning. Now, despite the weather... The winds, the rain, the snow, the heat, the sleet, the weariness, the sickness, you name it. Everything that we deal with today and ten times more, they were dealing with that day. And they were still responsible for keeping that fire lit, keeping it burning. They still had to make sure that wood was there to maintain the fire. It required work. In our life, guys, if we're going to try to stay on top, you can sometimes, guys, yes, you're going to get disillusioned with mankind. You're going to get uh, de uh, uh, desperate. You're going to get depressed. And I understand that we all do, but sometimes you just got to sink your heels in and put your head down and trust God that he has got a plan on the other side of this thing and just keep on working, guys. Personal responsibility we have to make sure we work to keep our own fire burning because you can't light the fire of someone else if yours isn't lit. Our faith. Fueled by the wood, fueled by our faith. It's a daily act of work, fanning the flames of the Word of God upon the table of our heart, keeping the fire burning so that the fire never goes out. Lastly, this evening, guys, and I want to say this with the finale of it, it's going to take willingness. Willingness. Verses 12 and 13 says, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and lay the burnt offering uh, in upon it, and, and he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offering. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Guys, the Lord has given us this world, or given this world the greatest gift that we could ever receive. He gave us his son, the fire upon the altar of the sacrifice, the fire which shall never go out. The newness, guys, the newness of salvation should never wear off. Let me say this to you. Salvation is not and cannot be pronounced upon another soul. No one can make the proclamation for you. That is a tool of the devil. And anyone who teaches that, guy, guys, are, are sadly and greatly removed from the Holy Scripture. No one can make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but you and you alone. It's your personal responsibility. Can I say this? It is more simple than you could imagine. Those today that have confused the simplicity of salvation, do you know who they're working for? i got a few more minutes. I'm done. We'll sing a song have some fellowship. 
I quoted this verse this morning, and I keep it written in my heart. And it keeps me, I hope, at times to make sure I preach with simplicity or to the best of my ability. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Serpents are subtle, man. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How simple is Jesus Christ today? Now, guys, don't mistake simplicity with ease. It wasn't easy for Jesus to go to the cross. It wasn't easy at all. There's nothing easy about it. But what we've been given today is a simple choice, that if thou shalt confess to thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ must be God, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's that simple tonight. There's no uh, one, two, three, repeat after me. There's no circles and sticks that you've got to jump over. There's no creed you've got to follow. There's no say, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. It's that simple tonight. The word confess means to agree with. You agree that Jesus Christ is God, <clears throat> that he died for your sins, and that he rose again with newness on high. So I ask you tonight, do you remember the time, the place, the hour, the moment, the instance in your life when God sent that fire upon your heart, the uttermost conviction of that saved your soul. Do you remember it? I remember what I was wearing. I remember where I was. It was a long time ago now. I'm getting up in years. I remember what the preacher said. I remember the conviction that went inside of me. And I remember realizing what could and really should happen to me if I didn't make a decision right then and there at 19 years of age. It was a fire that came in. I mean, I can't tell you that fire has burned my entire life. I wish I could say for the last 31 years that it's burned like, like it should have been. There comes a time when the emotions cease, when the shouting stopped. But the fire should never go out. God had Old Testament priests fanning the flames. The fire was passed from Joshua, Elijah, down to Elijah, down to David, Solomon, Isaiah, Daniel. And the fire was seen to Peter, James, and John, and Paul, among others, who, who fueled the flame, uh, guys, uh, to establish the local New Testament church. Uh, there's a man in the first century by the name of Polycarp, a convert of the Apostle John. He picked up that flame and he carried it through. And 200 years later, the Welsh Baptist, mind you, a guy by the name we know as St. Patrick, his real name is Succot Patricus. He possessed that flame in the 4th century. In almost 1,500 years, right here in our own area, Howard Harris would fan the flames of fire throughout Wales among with Christmas evidence. And then in 1859, John Davies and, and uh, William Edwards would carry the flames of fire. And we see one of the greatest revivals ever break out in Wales in the Cunning Valley Revival. And not long after that, the very same fire was picked up by C.H. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers in London, and by T. DeWitt Talmadge. Spurgeon and Talmadge met one another one time, and Talmadge said, it sure is great to meet the man who's known all over England. And Spurgeon Fireback said, it sure is great to meet the man who's known all over the world. At one time, Talmadge's sermons were printed in 36,000 front-page newspapers. Well, those days are long gone. Let me say this. Men have stoked the fire of the Holy Spirit for many, many years, and they've passed it into the ranks of those who are listening tonight. Guys, we have a responsibility to not only fuel the flame of the fire that is within us, that it shall never go out, but pass those flames along. It's the fire that should never go out, guys. And I just hope and pray tonight 
that you have received a glimpse of who and what you are. The fire which convicts us of our sin against mankind, but primarily against God. The distinct reality or realization of our sinful state and the dire need of a Savior, guys. That reflection in the face of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us paying our ultimate sin, our ultimate price that we could not pay is the very fire that was put inside of us through the Holy Spirit of God to seal us on the day of redemption. So I'm going to ask you this tonight. Do you have it this evening? You have that fire? Have you fanned it lately? Have you got it up bubbling a little bit? I'm not asking you guys to, to stand up and start screaming, shouting, and running around like maniacs. I don't want you doing that. But I'll tell you right now, you ought to be excited about what Jesus did for you. I mean, it ought, to be, it ought to be something exciting about in your life. When you think about him coming back and calling his bride home, man, it ought to make you get all excited and even speed in the car maybe. I'm not telling you to break the laws, but I'm just telling you, you get caught up and get excited about what God has done. If you've never received that free gift, I'm saying this tonight, and I'm finished. If you have never came to that moment in your life where you made that decision to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin, you make it tonight. 155,000 people die every day, 1.8 per second. According to the parable of the sower, only 25% of those who hear the word of God will be soundly saved, will make that decision. So tonight, guys, search your heart, search where you are, search that decision that you've made in your life. Search and find, is that fire within you? And if it is, man, I'm telling you, flame that flame on. Flame it up, fuel it up, and get excited about what Jesus has done. But if it's not there, no greater night, no greater time than this evening to set your soul on fire. Amen? We you bow your heads tonight. Father in heaven, do thank you for who and what you are and all that you've done. I ask you, dear God, to please make a difference in the lives of every person within earshot this evening, no matter what venue they may hear this message. I pray that the Holy Spirit will make a difference, dear Lord, in their eternal life, in their present state. Dear Lord, that you have come to give life, life more abundant. Let us realize that this evening. I pray this evening, dear God, that we would just please sink our teeth into the precious word of God. Sink our heels, Lord, into the calling that you've given us. Put, let us put our head down. Let us move on. But Father in heaven, I ask you to help us fuel the flames of the Holy Spirit of God within us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I do pray that everyone has safe traveling mercies tonight. Give us a sweet time together. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen.